Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am your host, David, and here's Ian. No, that's not Ian. Ian found out that there's a run on Manassas box set somewhere in Long Island, so he's out trying to find as many as he can. Now, seriously, he couldn't be here uh, for the interview this week, and so I was going to do the introduction since I did the interview by myself. But first, I want to tell you a few things that we have going on. Johnny Colt, December the 2nd at his art gallery in New Orleans. If you want to come and hang out with Johnny and and have a good time and have a -a one-of-a-kind experience, send us an email at stateofamorica at gmail.com or respond on some of our social media and I'll hook you up. It's uh, You got to get there, but it's it's free. We have probably four or five spots left. We have a good crew coming. To tell you how much fun it is, everybody except one person that was at my house in April are coming from all over the country. And we have a lot of new people. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a unique thing. A lot of the stuff that goes on there, we don't tell anybody about. So uh, it's a one-of-a-kind thing. I also want to tell you that uh, Jason Dantas, who, as you know, we call our producer, has really been doing a bang-up job on everything. I don't know what we would do if we didn't have him, to be honest with you. He does a ton of stuff for our Patreon, and he does a lot of stuff for the podcast. And he has booked us actually on several other podcasts coming up in the future. And that's going to be really cool. We're going to have a crossover episode, and we'll get to that later once it happens also join us on patreon if you haven't we've picked up several new members in the last couple of weeks i promise you you'll get your money's worth just ask anybody that's been on it we have another bonus episode we have what we call patreon radio where jason or me or ian sometimes the three of us or or just a couple of us pick a theme and talk about different songs and play them can be crows crows related most of the time it's it's kind of an eclectic mix so join us for that. Also, we're going to have giveaways every day the week of Thanksgiving. Ian Claus is coming out early. Those are going to be great. We have bought a Southern Harmony signed box set that we're going to give away, except it's going to be a little special. I'm not going to give away what that is, but trust me, you'll be the only person in the world that has a box set like this. So join us on Patreon. Also, in the future, we're going to be having a major announcement about the growing of I guess the podcast network, if you want to call it that, Jason's has been hard at work on something. We're not at liberty quite yet to announce it, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really cool. I think you guys are going to like it. So our episode this week is all about our favorite drummer, Steve Gorman. And we have Joe from the Steepwater Band on, and he is going to talk to us about what the Steepwater Band has coming up. And then we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about Steve Gorman, the importance of him to the sound of the Black Crows, his playing, and uh, other odds and ends. do want to tell you, Steve Gorman is one of the main reasons this podcast has been as successful as it is. He was the first member of the band to give us a chance and come on. And if you remember correctly, we released this episode unknowingly the same day that Chris and Rich went on Howard Stern and announced the reunion. And so our downloads went through the roof and have 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 stayed steady since and we really appreciate him coming on every time i've had a chance to meet him for a few minutes just the nicest guy really appreciative of the fans and honestly the life they've given him and a lot of the sacrifices that fans make to come see him in the crows and trigger hippie and and the bag men and i know a lot of crows fans listen to his radio shows and so he's up in Minneapolis now, I believe, and is and is working for a radio station there. But so much gratitude for him for for being the first one to come on. And you know, we've had Sven, Mark, Johnny, Rob Cloris, just you name it. We we've had a lot of people on. We'd love to have you on, Chris and Rich. It'd be a it'd be a fun interview. I promise you. Anyway, Joe was a great guest. We did this one live over Zoom with several members of our patrons. And if you're a member of Patreon, there's going to be a bonus Q&A with him that we've filmed as well. And that is going to come out on Patreon soon. 
So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your support. And Ian will be back on this next episode. And we have a couple of cool things coming up. Anyway, thank you so much. And here's our interview with Joe. All right, Joe, first of all, we'd like to thank you for coming on, and we'd like to uh, thank our producer, Jason Donces, to um, helping us set this up. As you know, there is a definite crossover between Black Crows fans and Steepwater Band fans. Well, that's a great thing, and and a lucky thing for us, because we've been around that scene a long time, and uh, definitely excited to be here with you guys today. Did that following of you guys, did that really kick up when, when Mark got involved? Yeah, I would say so, you know, but I've been going to shows for a long time since the early 90s, along with uh, the other members of the band. And, you know, we'd met a lot of people. So the more shows, the more cities, the more places you go, the more people you tell, hey, we're starting a band. We got this band going. You know, it spreads. And especially if they know if they've seen you at five, six, eight, ten shows, they're like, oh, these guys are definitely like into cool, cool stuff like we are. And then they might go check it out. You know, we, we, we also would bring like burn CDs of songs and things to shows and, you know, like it takes for bands, you know, to, and we're still doing that networking with people and finding people in that scene. But, um, but when we did make a record with Mark producing, it definitely bumped the needle a little bit as far as black crows fans starting to find out a little more about our band for sure. And you guys have kept that relationship with Mark. Cause he, he played with you guys here recently, didn't he? Yeah, just this past August, we did two shows in Chicago and Wisconsin and uh, and got together and jammed at both of the shows. And it was great to reconnect and see him. Uh, he's like a mentor, you know, and a friend and somebody that's taught us a lot. So uh, definitely pretty honored to be involved with them and have a chance to still do shows with them and communicate with them. We send them songs on occasion and we even talk about working together in the studio again someday. So it's it's not out of the question. All right, so before we get to the topic at hand, tell us what's going on with the Steepwater Band. Fill us in what you guys are up to and and what's on the horizon. So we're we're still out playing behind our latest two records, which are called Turn of the Wheel and Return of the Wheel, which are like companion pieces that we did pre and during COVID, basically. So we're out playing a lot of gigs. We got some stuff in the Midwest happening right now and uh, getting ready to leave for Europe, where we're going to do about 15 shows in Spain in november here this month and um and then home and winter time or it's time to kind of regroup and and decide what the next record's going to be you know like where where we're going to record what we're going to do next year but we're always playing you know we're always looking for new roads to go down and new places to play and and people to connect with and network with and and uh so definitely gigs 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 all the time for sure how nice was it to get back on the road after COVID? Really nice. You know, our band played over 100 shows a year since like 1998. And during COVID, like every, so many other people, we shut down and didn't do anything. And so for about a year and a half, we didn't, we went from like 100 miles an hour to zero for a year and a half and sat at home. So not playing for that long was kind of like shell shock for all of us. And uh, last year was really busy. This year has been 
semi-busy, but we are finding that it's a little tougher post-COVID for independent rock bands to be out playing, you know, but it's it's great. I'm glad, you know, I'm just, it's a, a testimony to say that we kept the band together all these years and now post-pandemic, we're back in the van, we're back flying to Europe and we're doing it and it feels good. You know, my first show was... I think in March of 20, I was very fortunate as a pharmacist. I was one of the first people in the country to get the vaccine. So uh, I think it was March of 21, went to see Blackberry Smoke and uh, first show. And I, I told Charlie this. I talked to Charlie after the show. And I was like, man, I'm telling you, y'all came on and just hit one chord. I could have gone home happy at that point. Just hearing a, <laughs> you know, hearing a, hearing a nice A chord with some uh, distortion just made me feel good. Did it give you more of an appreciation for playing music and like the feeling of playing in front of people? It, it sure did. Just um, what you just said too, going to shows, you know, like not only playing shows, but getting a chance to go out to a gig. My first gig back, I went to see Patterson Hood play at the City Winery in Chicago, acoustic, solo. And to hear Patterson sing that night and to be there and back in, you know, in a venue listening to live music, it, it was pretty emotional, you know. So back to us actually performing, our first gigs back were in Telluride at uh, a festival in, in Telluride, Colorado called the Ride Fest. And um we got to play with uh, Rival Sons and a bunch of other cool bands. And yeah, like it was it was just a crazy, almost a weird feeling to be back on stage playing in front of people for sure. After after 18 months of being at home, not doing anything musically or going any shows, it was it was shell shock, but a good thing to finally get back to doing it. You know, you probably couldn't have picked a more beautiful place to play your first show. Yeah, have you ever been out there? Yeah, it's, I just I just amazing. got back. I just got back from Durango and Crested Butte. Oh, right on, cool. And, uh, yeah. So I was in that Telluride area, and um, Rival Sons may be the most underrated live band in America. Man, I mean, they are amazing, and they're a real rock band. They um, certainly are. I, I for saw sure. them open up for Stone Temple Pilots, and the guy that went with me never heard of Rival Sons, and we both walked out and go, "That thing should have been flipped." And then I saw them open up for. <laughs> I saw him open up for Smashing Pumpkins about th about a month ago. Okay, um, and it was really good. But all right, so yeah, so Steepwater Band is 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 gigging, and you guys are gonna, I'm sure, got another record in you soon. Yeah, I you think got, so. You guys we put them out pretty regularly. Well, we got riffs flying around and ideas, and and yeah, I think we got to figure out exactly. Like I said, we we could. There's a chance we might work with Mark again. There's a chance. My brother recorded the last two records just because we were kind of in between ideas of what we were going to, where we were going to go, who was going to produce what, you know, so we, we stayed home and did the last two with my brother who did uh, our Revelation Sunday record from 2006. That was kind of, I don't want to say breakthrough. It's not like we've had a breakthrough, but it was kind of like the record that put us on the map as a band and, and the one right before the, the, the one that got Mark's attention and and got Mark to produce us after that. So uh so yeah, we did do two the last two here at home at my brother's home studio. And uh we're we'll be tossing ideas around all winter. It's it's definitely like the first on the priority list.
right. So when people see this uh, title of this podcast, they're going to be aware that this is uh, basically an appreciation of Mr. Steve Gorman episode. And I was telling you before uh, we came on, he was our first kind of big time guest. And every time I've interacted with him, a true gentleman, you're never going to hear me say anything negative about him. He's a he's a good dude. And you just mentioned, uh, I can't remember if it was before we came on or not. You've been seeing them since the early 90s. So did you catch the Shake Your Moneymaker tour? I sure did. Aragon Ballroom, <laughs> Chicago, Illinois, with Jellyfish opening the show. And uh, it was right towards the tail end. I guess it was 91. Incredible, man. That was a life-changing night because I'm a huge fan of Jellyfish also. And uh, and I and then the next, the next time I saw him was High as the Moon. Uh, also at the Aragon Ballroom uh, on the uh, the Southern Harmony tour, and uh, those were the first two shows I saw. Yeah, I don't know if you can find many bands that can match the intensity of that High as the Moon tour. That opening with "No Speak, No Slave." I heard a I heard a preacher say one time, if I don't light your fire, your wood's wet, you know? Yeah. I love it when they're doing the feedback and then it seems like Steve's the one that cues them to go into it, hitting the ride symbol. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was making some notes this afternoon for, for this whole podcast and, and exactly what you just said is part of the notes I was going to say about the greatest things, you know, the best Gorman moments that uh, no speak, no slave specifically, but. On the first record, you know, there are a bunch of kids who got a record deal. They're working with a producer trying to make everything just sound perfect so they can get on the radio. But when it comes around to having, a, you know, a hit record and all the success and being on the road for two, three years that they were or a couple of years, whatever it was, they get in the studio to do Southern Harmony and they're like this seasoned band. And the grooves, man, you talk about my morning song, you talk about Black Moon Creeping, Sting Me, Remedy. And obviously, no speak, no slave. One of the most powerful things. And like you said, the live versions when he's playing that cymbal intro and that guitar comes roaring in, and they they're off running, especially when they're opening the show with it. Forget about it, man. There's not a heavier drum moment in modern rock history, in my opinion. You know, so uh, the whole record and the whole vibe of it, and the whole vibe of that high as a moon tour. And you can go on YouTube. There's a couple of really good pro shot shows from that era that are just like the energy is just exploding through the television through through the tv screen you know like if, throw them on or the computer screen or wherever you're getting it on youtube your phone whatever i just amazing you're you nailed it on that for sure yeah the appearance on mtv spring break um yeah. they just come out with no speak you can tell you know, a lot of those people there are probably to see like some pop band or, or rapper or something <laughs> like that. And you can just tell like, oh, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I love those those old highs of the moon videos. And, you know, they always open with no speak. You had the light bulb uh, fixture, you know, that that moved back. But one of my favorite, I, I, forget, I think it's the MTV one, when they're getting ready to really go into it. Gorman's got his coat, you know, his sport coat on and his suit or whatever. And it's a video that he's doing this drum roll. And I don't know if I've ever seen anybody hit the drums harder in that one little drum roll. And like his whole kit is shaking. I've always thought that was one of the coolest shots. And 
I've always said the the black crows are a gumbo. Every little part adds to the to the taste of it. And you take any part away in any any group in any group of people that's ever been in that band, and it just sounds a little bit different. And I personally think he is as integral to the sound of that band as anybody's ever been in it. His drumming to me, it, like I know nothing about I know nothing about drumming. So like, you know, somebody may be the greatest technical drummer in the world. And I'm like, eh, he doesn't sound that good. And then I may hear yep. somebody that you guys think, man, this guy can't keep time. And I'm like, oh, you know, he's great. But I do notice him and I notice how he plays the drums and I know how his drumming makes me feel. And I know how it adds to the sound of that band. So as a as a, a, a young drummer, when you go see them, are you like zeroed in on him during the show? Without a doubt, without a doubt, especially hosts, uh, well, Southern Harmony and on. Not that I wasn't early on, but there's definitely a coming of age or something that happened with Steve's drumming between Shake Your Moneymaker and Southern Harmony. In my opinion, that that's when we really began to see the real, like where he really started to come into his own as a drummer. And like you said, on that How Is a Moon tour, uh, it was impossible to keep your eyes off of him. But also what you just said, the way it makes you feel, you nailed it, David. I mean, that's it. You nailed that's the way that 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 his snare drum hits with the intensity of the guitars, with the with the whole power of it. You know, the the whole Gorman for strength term that didn't come out of nowhere, you know, that power, that feeling that and and the way that it conjures up that feeling in the audience man you you can't you can't teach that you know what i mean that there's a something certain something happening between the energy between rich's guitar riffs and and steve's snare drum and the way that it's slamming in the right spot that that's evoking that emotion and and i agree with you that if you remove different parts and and obviously the guitar, the lead guitar position, the other guitar position has rotated so many times, the bass, keyboards, whatever. But you take Gorman out of that spot, I don't know, man. To me, it's a it's a it's a really vital part of the whole sound. And and I I, I don't know. I I have yet to see the uh the current drummer who as crazy as it sounds, I don't even know his name because I know he just entered the band and uh um which is a weird thing to think that there could be a drummer in the Black Crows right now that I don't know his name, but uh, but that there's a certain something there, like a intangible, that is going to be a hard thing to hit. You know, I mean, what did you see the uh, the Shake Your Moneymaker uh, anniversary tour? And, yes, and, uh, yes, or, I saw what it. Do you... I saw it uh, twice. I thought the second time I saw them, they didn't sound bad the first time, but I thought the second time I saw them. They definitely were, um, were were clicking on you know more cylinders, and then I saw them in Florida at the Moon Crush Festival, and uh, they sounded really really good. Nico, the guitar player, he's very accomplished in his own right, and he has a respect for the music that he plays it in a way that he puts his own flavor in it, but it it's not so much that it changes it. Uh, he was great in Rich's solo band. He was great in Magpie. Uh, he's very accomplished in South America, very well respected. And uh, I think he adds a lot to it. You know, Sven is Sven. Sven holds it down um, and, and super nice guy. And then, you know, I've always said this. If Chris and Rich are playing together, I'm going to see them. You know? I, I get um, it. I get it. Totally. You were talking about the whole Gorman for strength thing. He almost didn't have a choice to play route. When I mean, you got young Rich Robinson plugging in over there, one of my favorite stories was we interviewed Jeff Dunn, who was who's Dunn's son, and he was their sound guy for like six years yeah. in the nineties. He said that one time they were sound checking. It was an amphitheater, and the the guy the he called him the decibel police, and he was going around checking them. And he up there, he goes, "Oh man, you good? You you're one decibel below." And he looks at him, he goes, "I haven't turned the PA on yet." Yeah, yeah, dude. Notoriously, Rich Robinson plays loud. Now, I mean, part of that is to get that sound, you know? I mean, to get that tone, a lot of guitar players, they got to go there. And But what you just said, it kind of leaves, it's it's like, it's hard to explain. Like drums, 
on a stage have um have microphones on them, right? So you're you're when you hit, you're going through a PA, you're obviously not competing with the amp directly or whatever. But when there's that much intensity coming from the speakers, like that much air blowing through through the speaker cabinet, it, it you kind of like in order to create that groove and that sound, you have to hit the drums like with that kind of intensity. And and you're right, it's like kind of leaves you no choice. And I believe every bit of that story you said that Jeff told that, that, uh, you know, the decibel police are like, um, uh, can you, can you turn it down just a little bit? Like, uh, uh dude, I don't have the PA on. Cause that, that we opened for rich at a club, the double door in Chicago and Rich's side of the stage and the amps were so unbelievably loud that like, it was like people in the club were who worked at the club were kind of like, is he serious? Like, is I, is it, is his stage volume really going to be that loud? And it sounded killer. It was, we, we played with uh hookah Brown when, mm-hmm. which was Rich's band before going completely rich Robinson solo, I guess. And, uh, and then we played again with him when he was uh rich Robinson uh, solo on, on the paper album. But uh, I mean, it sounded killer, just like unbelievably like, I, I don't know, like for anybody on the stage itself, it's it's a job to hold it down when 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 things when that much air is blowing, you know. I mean, it definitely you you that's a true story for sure. Well, when we saw them in Florida at this festival, it was like four night festival, and it was uncharacteristically windy and chilly at night. It was down in like the high fifties, and the wind was blowing. It was outdoors, and man, the sound was just getting lost. And I mean, sure. it was like, uh, it was, you know, JJ Gray and Mofros, Jason Isbell, Marcus King, amazing players sounded horrible because the sound was just, you know, all over the place. And, uh, we were, we were sitting next to this somewhat older couple and she's like, are you guys coming Sunday night? And I'm like, oh, we're not, we're here to see the black crows. And she goes, I'm really worried. We're not going to be able to hear them. And I looked at her and I said, Rich Robinson will cut through a category five hurricane. I promise you. And they had, they had brought in extra speakers for them. And we were up against the rail, probably five feet from the speakers. And they started, I believe with no speak. And when he started the Dan and my shirt started moving and and the drums having kicked in. All right. So let's get back to uh, the Gormings. We all love Rich. (laughs) He's a, he's a great player. Uh, He's one of my favorite guitar players. And we're going to do a Rich Robinson appreciation episode down the line. All right, so as a drummer and you're watching him, so like I said, I know nothing about drumming. So if I sound something that says like it sounds like an idiot, just forgive me. So from, far, what you've said has been spot on. So you know from from the little that I kind of know about music and stuff, he plays with a lot of swing. Is that right? For sure, for sure. And can you can you uh, explain to us that don't understand that because that gets thrown around a lot. I always hear. Like Guns N' Roses never sounded the same because Steven Adler has so much swing and Matt Sorum was like a is like a surgeon. So can yep. you explain that to us and how that contributes a to the sound of a band and how does that help the other musicians? Okay, so the age old thing that everybody talks about is like guys like John Bonham and how the snare drum, the beat, like is just that like tiny bit behind the actual pulse or like the click or, or you like the actual one, two, three, like the pulse, the snares falling just that tiny bit behind. And that's what creates that whole sound for, for John Bonham and for Zeppelin. Right. But the magic of it is there is, you, you can't really teach it. It's like a feel thing. Right. But, but the magic of it is like where the guitar or where the drum, the snare drum hand and falls in relation to like the riff or the guitar that's happening and, and, and with the, the certain deliberacy that like, there's, it's like a millisecond behind the beat, but there's no doubt about that. That's where it is. And it's a really, it's a tough thing to achieve, man. Not, I mean, there are so many amazing drummers and technical drummers that maybe don't find that thing that makes a band swing like, and yes, Thorman has that. You can't really teach it, but it has to do with that millisecond perfect spot behind the beat and the deliberacy of it. Like the no doubt, like, bam, there it is. 
And and to use the word swing is perfect. Like for you to say that and, and say that to you, it sounds like, like he plays with a ton of swing. What's creating that swing, in my opinion, and, and from what I've observed and listened to and, and been around is like the way the guitar riff falls, like in relation and like where the snare cracks in relation to like the guitar riff. And, and so many people talk about how a drummer locks in with a bass player. Does a kick drum lock in with what the bass, bass player is doing? Sure, that's important. But the thing people seem to like kind of overlook is where the snare drum lands at. And, and I think Steve is one of the best at not only what I just talked about, but also his accenting with the guitar riff, with, with like the quirky like riffs and things that 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 Rich comes up with. And we can get into more of that next. But for sure, swing, swing, swing all, all night long because of what, what I just explained. I don't know if he has swing or not, but I know like Neil Peart is, you know, considered one of the best drummers of all time. But he's sure. very precision oriented, isn't he? Like a, he's yes. like a timepiece. So it's like mathematics, yeah. Yeah. So like he never is offbeat or any like anything. So you're saying like somebody like him, it'd be harder for him to be in a band like the Black Crows, where that contributes to a sound, the sound of it. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't hear too many people talking about Neil Peart as being like a swinging drummer, although mm-hmm. he did do a, a Buddy Rich big band tribute thing, and it was pretty swinging, but. That's a whole nother conversation, but um, definitely like the 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 approach of the drums creates the vibe of the groove and the swing of the band. I, it, it's it's essential, you know. Whether you're talking about Charlie Watts, whether you're talking about Simon Kirk from Free and Bad Company, whether you're talking about John Bonham or Steve Gorman or or anybody, and if you put Steve Gorman in Rush, it wouldn't it wouldn't sound like Rush. It right. wouldn't be the same approach. If you put Neil Peart in the Black Crows or, or you know, the Rolling Stones, it's not going to be the same, right? So, yeah. but but I think this swing and and the, the like, feeling, the, the uh, emotion that Steve evokes from people like you who said you don't even know anything about drumming, that's the whole thing. Like, to me, like, that's the magic in the whole band, man, the whole vibe, the whole thing, you know? I think the greatest compliment I can pay to him is to me, the best work he ever did was that album that you got the poster behind you, the live at the Greek with Jimmy page. We talk you on about, uh, you know, Oh girl from a pawn shop. That's a Mark song or, you know, uh, no speak, no slave that riff, you know, that's a rich song or, you know, this is some of the ballads. That's a Chris song, you know, that's a Steve Gorman album. First of all, to have the guts to play that with Jimmy Page, you got to have some serious confidence in yourself. And my favorite thing he's ever done is the drumming on In My Time of Dying. Jesus gotta make him. like he took that song over it would not have sounded half as good as it did without his drumming as a drummer if somebody's like you're about to go play two hours of led zeppelin music (laughs) with jimmy page oh and by the way it's the deep cuts what would the anxiety level be yeah like to the nines and and it's crazy that you you and i are so on the same page so far with all of this stuff because this would be my number one 
like we were going to do a top five Gorman moments. Mm -hmm. That was my number one is, is the crow's page thing. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've always wondered. And and in fact, I've heard that to prepare for that thing, he pretty much just like locked himself in a room and played Zeppelin, like, you know, nonstop for two months or whatever it was. But I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the Crows did some sort of like benefit concert and they came out with Paige and Michael Lee on drums who played with Paige and Plant, who was kind of a John Bonham, like, like complete, like, I don't want to say rip off, but whatever he, he, what he like had it down to a T. And I remember I saw that before they ever announced that the Crows were going to do something with Jimmy. And when they did announce it, I remember thinking and saying to friends, like, I bet, you know, I, if they're doing this, I, I wonder if it's going to be like Chris and Rich and, and, and Ed and, and, you know, and that Michael Lee guy, you know, with Jimmy or like if, or if Steve's going to be involved, I really, cause I didn't, and it wasn't that I didn't think that Steve could do it. It's just that Steve is Steve. He's his own thing. He's a little bit of everything. And he's, and he's so like the guy that like plays the, all the black crows riffs. So like effortlessly and someone just chimed in and said that actually and good call on that danny i think said gorman effortlessly yes correct but i i was really curious to see what he would do with it with that said to me it's like the most refreshing take on john bonham on led zeppelin maybe the greatest zeppelin thing to be released since bonham's death and also it's like Steve's taste. It's like he somehow found a way. So many guys in tribute bands like have like, oh, I I got I got Bonzo down to a T. But Steve shows up and kind of made it his own. Like he kind of reinvented, if you can even say that, he kind of reinvented Bonzo in his own way. And to me, it's it's some of the greatest drumming of my generation, you know, of, of our generation of since since the Black Crows came on the scene, since Zeppelin ended his fresh take on John Bonham live at the Greek, Jimmy page, those guys just, just ripping through a bunch of cool deep track led Zeppelin songs and him putting his own spin on it. Sure. He's playing, you know, the signature fills and stuff, but he's not mimicking. He's not like regurgitating it. He's not he didn't come out with a big 26 or 28 inch bass drum and the whole big wide open sound. He came out with the Steve Gorman drum kit and and played it the way he would play it, you know, put his kind of like muscle and yet circular kind of vibe to it. And and I think it, it makes that whole record, man. The drums on that are second to none for anybody trying to tackle Zeppelin in modern day music. And to think it took place, you know, only 20 years after Bonzo was dead, you know, I mean, and, and then the stories about about Steve and Jimmy and their relationship. Obviously Jimmy knew and felt it just like what we're talking about and what we feel about it. So a hundred percent, you know, fearless on Steve's part. And he also walked into, like you said, what had to have been a pretty high anxiety level of, you know, man, this is going to be a high mountain to climb. And he not only climbed it, but he ruled it. And, you know, I, it's sad to me that it got cut short because they were going to do another, what, like 30 shows or something when it ended. And uh, if you watch some of those videos, man, I mean, it like they're on fire. And and that record is it's just golden to me. It's one of my favorite things ever, without a doubt. One of my favorite parts about it was the fact that you had three guitar players. So you had all these oh, yeah. parts that Jimmy would layer in on these albums, oh, yeah. but you'd hear them live and he can only play one. And sometimes to me, it sounded a little disjointed because it sounded like sometimes like he was going to try to fit different bits and pieces of those parts. And I think Audley Freed did an amazing job uh, on that. And you got it. You got Rich holding down, you know, the, uh, the rhythm and, and hitting those riffs. And then Jimmy just hopping in and doing whatever he wanted to. And when you think about it, it was a match made in heaven. Because, you know, when they came on the scene, it was Poison and Guns N' Roses. Now, I, you know, I listened to all that stuff. I, Poison was my favorite band in sixth grade. That was sixth sure. grade. But they came along, and I always say it's a miracle to me that they got as big as they are. Not because they aren't talented, what they were up against. And I think there was such a thirst for something real and something with a little bit of a throwback sound. And it always just steams me when people just constantly go, oh, there are faces in a stone's ripoff. 
No, they're not. Southern Harmony is a masterpiece. Gone is one of the bigger left turns in, in, in music. percussion we had we had eric on he talked about how great that was and then steve's drumming everybody's influenced by the rolling stones that plays you know in a rock band but yeah shake your money maker had some overtones of that but they became their own thing and so i just think it's fascinating that they kind of picked up the torch a little bit from that kind of music and then they you know their first year out of shake your money maker they played with plant aerosmith zz top i mean a lot of bands never get to do any one of those things, but sure. then they pair up with Jimmy Page, and I don't think that album could sound any better. I think it's it's as close to a perfect sounding live album. Knowing them, if I had to think, they probably didn't go in and overdub anything, and just amazing, amazing shows. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you mentioned Oddly Freed, and I had heard like through some sources that. He was very instrumental in actually teaching Jimmy his part, reteaching Jimmy. Like Jimmy showed up at the first rehearsal, and and oddly, they was kind of like, thank God oddly knows all these guitar parts because he kind of like reintroduced Jimmy to a bunch of parts, like, and they sorted out who who would play what. So you're right on the money with that. Oddly Freed was definitely a big part of that. All right. So I think his playing on Wiser Time is as big of a part of that song as Rich and Mark's guitar playing. That cowbell, that cowbell is perfect. said uh ballad and urgency in a wiser time some of the most dynamic delicate yet forceful you know circular groove that the snare drum fills on ballad the cowbell on wiser the whole vibe of the whole thing is just like man what can you even say you know i mean it to me when i heard that and the whole record really i mean you, you talked about eric bobo and the congas and Steve incorporating his playing into having a percussion player on the record. Can't say enough about, about Amorica and the whole, I think it's a pinnacle for, for Steve and the band, you know, so we could, we could talk about this stuff for hours. And by the way, on the night that we're recording this right now, it's the 29th anniversary of the record being released, which was November 1st of 94. So, uh, uh, had to do a special mention on that. So, uh, for me, man, it's a very polarizing record for a lot of people, but uh, the By Your Side record, a horse head. 
sound on by your side man kevin shirley making the drums just sound massive on that record it was a weird time a lot of people were upset because mark and johnny were out of the band things were changing they were going more for a rock and roll like a harder rock sound and away from more of a jammy you know hippy dippy kind of thing that we had all kind of followed in the 90s and i saw i probably saw 75 shows between a marker a bust and the Three Snakes tour, and uh, and the Further Fest tour, and all that, and it, it was pretty hippy jammy. And and for them to come out with By Your Side and have a song like Horsehead just slamming you, I, you know, at the time a lot it, it divided a lot of people. But I feel like the drumming on that record is second to none. The funkiness of the of the record lions, especially songs like Young Man, Old Man, and and uh, Ozone Mama, and and Greasy Grass River. modern day Mitch Mitchell. It's like Steve going to yet another place that he hadn't gone to with all the styles that he had played over his career in the studio. And Greasy Grass River is almost like a modern Foxy Lady or something, you know, like a, no more like a, a manic depression, like more like a Mitch Mitchell thing, you know, so great, you know? So he always makes it look like he's having fun. I think that's one of the he things. He certainly does. That's one of the things that's great about watching him live. Even whether it's trigger hippie bag men or whatever, he's kind of like, um, uh, always heard people say Peter Buck of, um, REM, you know, he's just in his own world up there. He's having a party by himself, the way he plays guitar and he doesn't care if anybody there. And Steve just looks like he's having fun. All right. So one of their deeper unreleased tracks, a song called feathers.
and it's as simple sounding as possible, but that slow drum beat and he's just keeping the same slow beat the whole time adds to kind of the, the gloominess, the doom sounding, the down part of, you know, the song's not exactly a happy tune and it adds to that. I definitely agree with that. You know, it makes me feel good that you are a professional drummer and you and I had several things, uh, there in common. That makes, that makes me think I may have a future. Uh, well, pick up a pair of sticks, man. Get yourself a kit. Get going. You know, have you have you had the opportunity to hang out with them a decent amount? You know, it's it's weird. I've hung out with most of the Black Crows a lot. Steve, not quite as much. I feel like he gets it and understands the fans, what it takes. I mean, you know, sacrifices people make. They go on vacations to go see them. You know, and. That's to me is always one of the um, great things about him. Like I said, I, I've I've met him twice. You know, we've we had him on here, and he's just the nicest guy, and he's just a gentleman. and And I think that, uh, you know, like I said, I'll never say anything bad about the guy. I think he's great. He's my favorite drummer. And like I don't know anything about drumming, but like I said, I can tell you how he makes me feel. I, you know, I've met him in passing. I used to hang out with Johnny Cole a lot in the nineties. Uh, my bass player. Todd Bowers from Steepwater, the original Steepwater bass player, and I struck up a friendship with Johnny, and he would get us into gigs and take us backstage, and we'd go hang at clubs with them in Chicago when they'd come through. And, and I would run into Steve, and we we knew, you know, I he would see, we would say hello, he was always cordial, but we didn't really have a whole lot of interaction over the years. Um, uh, oddly enough, I've, I've become friends with his brother Dave over the years, who is a fan of Steepwater and uh man one of the best people i know you know so I, as far as and, and and also his brother tom we play in colorado and tom lives out there and and tom's been to shows and and dave and tom have been to shows together in nashville to steepwater shows and and they've kind of become like like good buddies you know of ours and and um i i can just from what you know what you just said about you know, just good, cool, good person that Steve seems to be all day long with his both of his brothers, for sure. And um, the times that I have interacted with Steve, he's been great. And uh, I think the world of his drumming and, and, and like you said, he he gets that like we that it means something to us as fans, as as people. And, and I think even to drummers like me that, you know, have maybe stolen the thing or two or, or been influenced by him. I think it means a lot. You know, you, you could just tell, like you said, he, he knows that it means a lot that fans go out of their way to come to gigs and make it a part of their life, such a big part of their lives. Like you guys have by just making this podcast and definitely a great person, great family for sure. Yeah. I've actually watched two trigger hippie shows with Dave. And nice. like you said, like if you've met him for 30 seconds, you know him. Super. That's for sure, man. No doubt about it. I, the, the first time I met Dave, uh, he came to a show in, in uh, at a bar in Tennessee, kind of like a, a rough and tumble, like, like hillbilly bar we were playing at at the time. And uh, he came up to our merch and, and, and said, yeah, you know, I've been hearing about your band through black crow circles. He said, my brother, you know, my name's Dave, you know, my brother, Steve, he's a drummer in the black crows kind of nonchalantly, you know, and, I'm like, well, hey, man, then then you're royalty, bro. You know, like royalties <laughs> in the house. And and ever since, we've just had a great rapport, you know. Well, Joe, this has been so much fun. I hope you've had a, a good time doing it. Man, I'm, I I, I got to say, I am high as the moon to be here with you guys on the um, state of America. And thank you guys for giving, you know, a platform for Black Crows fans, because it's been a major part of all of our lives for so long that... um it's cool to have that you guys do this, man. And I, you know, I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'm sure the guys in the band, I know you've had them all on, hopefully eventually Chris and Rich will come on as well, but, um, I'm sure they think it's cool, you know, what you guys are doing. Cause it, it, it keeps the spirit of it. You, we can, you can really sit here and dissect like right now, this went by like that, you know, and you can, you guys can just sit here and dissect like this music that's meant so much to you for so many years. So thank you guys for doing this. Oh, really. Well, it's great. We, uh, we enjoy doing it, doing it. The, the best part we always say is the friendships we've made. 
Absolutely. Um, one of the most surreal moments of my life was six months ago, Johnny Colt came to my house and, uh, I heard Jason was telling me about it. Yeah, yeah, man. man cool. It was it was fun. Yeah. He made that night so special for all of us. We're actually doing it again at his place in New Orleans, uh, December the second. He's a guy that gets it too. Oh, Super yeah. nice guy. He's very genuine and uh, very kind. And uh, uh, he and I have uh, uh, safe to say we've become friends. I, and uh, I, I kind of hope that maybe they would have included him in the uh, Shake Your Money Maker tour over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Sven as well, and and glad that he's there in that base spot. But I think they might have been able to like had Johnny Johnny, you know, live for that stuff back then. I mean, he he was Mister Black Crows back no, then. No, Johnny's the Johnny's the rock star. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> no, he had the exactly. you know he had the he had the pimp hats on before Chris did in the By Your Side era. You got it. You ever seen that? Oh, real quick, you ever seen mm -hmm. that unplugged where? Uh, where Chris says something like, I'd just like to mention that Mr. Johnny Colt is wearing a lovely suit this evening. I, I just love it, man. Like so rock and roll. Cool. Johnny was the coolest man for sure. No doubt. All right. So you, you've obviously listened to the podcast, you know, at the end, we asked our guests to give us a play out song. I want you to give us a steep water song and I want you to give us a crow song to play out with. All right. Well, steep water song is called found. It's on our latest record and uh, just a really cool, jam that i think crows fans would dig kind of that vibe and uh i don't know man I, i'm i gotta say peace anyway if you got it that would be the one to go with because that's that's one of my favorites and and also a big uh a big gorman moment i love the the groove on peace anyway man it's cool we'll get a, a cool live version of that and since our producer i just unmuted his mic we'll throw it to him to tell everybody goodbye stay tall everybody
Just check it.